Now, we've said many times in this church, I've said it many times, we've talked about it many times, that we are all on a journey. We're all on a spiritual journey. And the word journey actually means, basically, the basic meaning is the act of traveling from one place to another. And being on a spiritual journey goes a little one step further, a little bit further, and it basically means traveling to a place of greater faith. Traveling to a place of greater faith. And and in life, we are all on a spiritual journey. Uh, No matter where you are in your faith right now, whether you have a lot of faith or a little bit of faith or no faith, you are on a spiritual journey. Uh, And and in life, uh, we, we are either traveling towards greater faith in God or traveling or journeying away to less faith in God. Now, Many of us, we have this question in life, a lot of people, what is the purpose of life? You see it with people all the time that asking, what is the purpose of life? And let me tell you, the purpose of life this morning is this, it's to journey towards God. It's to be like God, and as you are journeying towards God, it is to worship God. That is the main purpose of life, of human life. It is to to journey towards God, to be like God, and to, in that process, worship God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, uh, tells us this. It says, this is God speaking uh, through the prophet Isaiah. And he is saying, bring all who claim me as their God. For I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. So Isaiah is saying this. He's saying that you were created for a purpose. And that purpose was to bring glory to God. To bring glory to the almighty creator, the God of this universe. The the Jews called him Yahweh. We know him as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so that is the purpose of life. And even though that's the purpose of life and that's the journey that we are all on to giving glory unto God, many of us along the way, we lose our way. Many of us get lost. We lose the way that we are going. And that's what makes us scream out, what is our purpose in life? Why are we actually here on this earth? Back in 1994, my family and myself, we came to the United States to to vacation in the state of Texas. I'm not sure why they chose Texas of all places. I would have preferred like California or Florida, but they went to Texas for some reason. And so we were staying at a friend's house in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And Texas is just like really hot and it's got like snakes and it's got like stuff like that. So it's like, that's why I want to stay away from it. They've got great barbecue though. I mean, yeah. So we went to, uh, we went to uh, say at some friend's house and while we were there, my sister was uh, looking at different colleges to go to. And there was a college in the great state of Missouri and that she was looking at. It was called Evangel College, which now is called Evangel University. Um, and so while we were there in Texas, we thought it would be a good idea to go for her to go visit this college to go see uh, around the college campus. So we took the drive up to Missouri for a couple of days. It's like six hours from the Dallas-Fort Worth area to uh, the, the college, which is uh, situated in Springfield, Missouri, which is in southeast Missouri. 
And so we went up there and we spent a day and then I got to Missouri and I realized why we were vacationing in, in Texas because Texas is way better than Missouri. And so I was like saying to my sister, what, you want to come here? But she actually did go there and she's still living there and she loves it. And uh, I lived there for a couple of years and there are some good things about the place. But regardless, so we got there and we spent a couple of days there and then we journeyed back. And we left Missouri around about five in the afternoon to travel back to Dallas. And my dad, being my dad, decided he did not want to use a map. Because dads don't use maps, right? So it was before the days of GPS that you could secretly like have in your ear telling you where to go. So my dad was like, I know the way. I've done it plenty of times. I'm like, Dad, no, you haven't. So we started going, and actually, we found our way into Oklahoma, which was the right way. Well, we found our way through Oklahoma, through Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and then down towards the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And after about five hours and 45 minutes, my dad had done a wonderful job of getting us back to where we were supposed to be. And we got to the outskirts of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we were trying to find a neighborhood called North Richmond Hills, uh, Richmond Hills, which is in the Fort Worth area. And my dad suddenly took a wrong turning. And then he suddenly realized he was on the wrong, wrong turning. We were heading towards Dallas instead of Fort Worth. And so he realized, so he came off, and he was like, no, 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 I know which way I've got to go. I know which way I've got to go. Well, he started circling. And he started going down all these different streets, down all these different highways, and he was completely lost. He never said he was lost because he's a dad, and we don't say that sort of stuff, but he was completely lost. And so we started circling around. Now, on top of that, my dad was a little jet lagged. He had just driven straight for six hours, um, and he was tired. He was almost falling asleep at the wheel, and he had lost all sense of direction. And after about 30 minutes of circling around, he suddenly sees the highway that he needs to get on to get to North Richland Hills. And uh, so he decided to go towards the highway. The only problem is, is my dad decided to get on the off-ramp. So as we get on the off-ramp, suddenly these blue lights started circling around and my dad pulls over and a police car stops him thinking he is drunk as a skunk and uh, comes in like, you know, the guy's like, sir, you were going the wrong way. Do you realize that? And my dad looks all like, like tired and uh, he just looks lost. Well, suddenly the police officer realizes that we are British and so he has sympathy on us and... He starts to talk to my dad and realizes that we are completely lost. So the police officer, the nice guy, he was. He told us exactly which way to go. And 20 minutes later, we were where we were supposed to be. And my dad says, do not tell the people that we stayed with what happened. So what do we do? Guess what my dad did, you know? But we were in a complete state of lostness. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know what we were doing. And the word lost basically means that you cannot find your way. Or you do not know your whereabouts. And that was us. We couldn't find our way and we didn't know our whereabouts. We had no sign of reference at all because we were in a place where we were totally lost. Now, many of you will remember a TV show called Lost. 
It was a TV show about a group of people who survived a plane crash landed on an island. And six, six seasons later, millions of people watching every single week. Six seasons later, they actually get off the island. And uh, it was like a big anticlimax altogether. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't even watch it because I was like, okay, they're lost. Like, that's the whole premise of the story. Why are you watching this show? They are lost. But there was all these twists and these turns in this TV show. But there is something that intrigues us about people who are lost. You, you see people who are lost, and you can see it on their faces that they are lost. There is confusion on their faces. There's a fear within them. There's a suspicion that the road they are on is not the right journey at all. So what do we do when we see someone's lost? The first things we ask is, are you lost? Right? You see someone, and they don't know what they're doing, where they're going. Are you lost? And if they're a dad, they're like, no, I'm not lost. They lose their opportunities. If they're a mom, yes, we are lost. Please help us. And so you want to help people who are lost. A few, uh, several, uh, about four years ago as a, as a church, we went to uh, a corn maze. Um, one October at uh, the Beachmont campgrounds, and they have this corn maze there every year. And we went there, and we all got in, and suddenly we realized that in a corn maze, you get lost really easy. Well, we had a couple uh, who, who were in the corn maze with us, Chris and Jill, and uh, they were very competitive, and there was all these clues that you had to get, and they decided they wanted to complete every single clue before they came out of the corn maze. The rest of us, we got in there. We got lost. We were in there for 20 minutes. We got a little claustrophobic. We saw the exit. We headed for the exit. We left that evening like two hours later, and we still did not see Chris and Jill. We didn't know where they were. They may still be in the corn maze. I have never known at all. But we go into these corn mazes, and it is easy to get lost. You lose your sense of direction. You don't know where you're going. You think, oh, this is the right way, only to find that it is a dead end. And you know people who have lost their way in life. They don't have to be in a corn maze to lose their way. You don't have to be on a trip from Missouri to Dallas without a map to lose your way. Many of you, you know people who have lost their way. Maybe in this place today, you've lost your way. The religious people in Jesus' days would call people who lost their way, they would call them sinners or notorious sinners. And these were the people that would do things that the people who knew better wouldn't do. They would think things that the people who knew better wouldn't think. They would say things that the people who knew better wouldn't say. And so the people of the time would call these people sinners and they would call them out. And, and, a, and Jesus was, was a person who came uh, to this earth. And as he started teaching people and associating himself with people, Jesus did not distinguish between the people who were religious and the people they called sinners. Jesus just called them humans. And Jesus started associating themselves with all these different types of people. So what did the religious people of the day do? They started to complain to Jesus that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And we pick up this story in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says that it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love how they like distinguish and they group them together. Tax collectors and notorious sinners. It's like tax collectors and gangsters and pimps and all together. I mean, they're just bad people, right? So tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. 
Now, let me tell you something about the day when Jesus walked this earth. If you ate with somebody, you were basically telling the world that you associate yourself with that person. It wasn't like at the school canteen or, uh, uh, you know, at the food court that, that you go in, the only spare uh, seat available. You know, you go and sit and there's someone like sitting there and you're eating with them, but you're not really associated with. No, in those days, if you ate with somebody, you associated yourself with. So by Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the notorious sinners, then Jesus was telling the world that he's associating himself with these people. And so the Pharisees started complaining to Jesus, why are you doing this? If you say that you are this teacher, this good teacher, this rabbi, this this person who, who has got the truth, why are you associating yourselves with these people? And so Jesus gave a trilogy of stories to explain why. One is called the lost sheep. One is called the lost coin, and one is called the lost son. This morning, we will not deal with the lost sheep. As I said last week, we've had eight weeks of sheep. And so I've had enough of wool, and I've had enough of grazing and grass, and we are not going to deal with that today because, like I said last week, I'm sheeped out. But today, we're going to look at the story of the lost coin and the lost son. And the reason Jesus told this story is because he wanted to help them understand the plight of people who are lost and lost their way and just what God continues to do for them every single day. These stories were in response to the Pharisees' complaints that Jesus spent time with these sinners and he ate with these sinners. And as Jesus starts giving this theme, these stories, he has one clear theme throughout these stories. And this is the clear theme. Your father in heaven will not stop searching until he finds what has been lost. Say that again. Your father in heaven will not stop searching until he finds what has been lost. So let's take a look at the story of the lost coin. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 8. Jesus said, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them. You've all got a coin on your chair right now. Now, I know it's not much value. It's a nickel. You can't go very far with a nickel. I know Halawi said that like, I should get basically all the nickels. Well, you're not going to get very far with a nickel. The only thing you can get a grande Starbucks with all the nickels we have in this place. But as we read in the story, take this nickel. You've lost a coin. You've lost a coin. So a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice, I found my nickel. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So this woman, she has lost a coin. And Jesus has given this story that's saying that this woman, she now has lost this coin and she is sweeping the house. She is going from from left and right, every little nook and cranny. She's looking under the stairs. She's looking in the kitchen cabinets. She's looking in the bathroom cabinets. She's looking under the bed. She's, She's looking in the closet. She's looking everywhere, under the rugs, behind the sofa, in the cushions. Where is my lost coin? Have you guys ever lost something? Now, I don't know if you're like me. 
but something happens in my brain when I lose something. I go on a mission, especially in the house. I have these times where I will go somewhere and go to a closet to get something or go into a drawer because something is there and suddenly I realize it's not there. So I spend the next several hours searching that house, turning that house upside down to find what I'm looking for. Often the moment's even passed and I don't even need it anymore, but I still keep looking at it. It, it just weighs heavy on my mind. And if I go to bed and I haven't found it, I will like, wake up in the middle of the night. Well, is it here? Is it here? I'll get up in the morning. Where is it? Because there's something within us. When we lose something, we need to search for it time and time again. The latest thing in my house is my key my car keys. I have a little munchkin that suddenly decided he likes my car keys. And now I can't find them anywhere. And my mom says to me, she says, you'll just get it. He's just getting you back. She goes, because when we were young, when you were young, when you were little, she says, I was always late for church. This is her excuse. Because she couldn't find the car keys. I would often put them in a grandfather, in the gra- like this grandfather clock with like a door. I'd put them in there. I'd put them in different places. She would find the keys in some obscure place along with like a sandwich I've stored for later. <laughs> and often when we can't find something, we search the house trying to find something. And when someone has lost their way, our heavenly father is just like this woman. Our Father in heaven starts sweeping the halls of our hearts, starts sweeping our homes and our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces, trying to find those who have lost their way. That is who our Heavenly Father is. This lost coin here, this coin, this nickel, it represents souls who have lost their way on this journey of life, on this spiritual journey that we are all on. And they cannot find their way. And our Heavenly Father, He is doing what He can so that He can find this coin. And, and to illustrate just exactly what the heavenly, our Heavenly Father does for us, there's no better story than the story of the lost son. And so let's turn to the story of the lost son. Jesus gives this parable, the last of the trilogy. And he says this in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11 to 13. To illustrate the point further. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later... His younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Immediately we see a problem. There is a lost soul. A lost soul. Here is a boy who thinks he knows best. Have you ever got to a point in life where you think you know best? You know better than other people? You think that your way is the best way and and, and you can't get convincing because you know what's right. It happened to me a lot in my late teens and my early 20s. In my college years, I don't know what it was. I just thought I just knew everything about everything. Now I realize I know nothing about nothing. But you get to a point in life where you want to do what you want to do. You want to go your own way because you think you know best. And this is exactly what this young boy did. 
See, the problem for so many, the reason we do this, the, 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 the young boy, he decided to leave his father's family because he wanted to go his own way, do his own thing. And the problem for so many people is that we don't have an identity in this life. We, have, we struggle with our identity. We're either our father's son or our mother's son or daughter. We're our brother's brother or our sister's sister. We're our employer's employee. We're our friend's friends. And we, 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 we go through life trying to search for an identity in life. Trying to search for a uniqueness in life. And the problem for so many of us is that we think the purpose of our life is to try to find our identity. And the problem in trying to search for your identity is that in trying to find your identity, you often lose your soul. Almost anyone who the Pharisees called sinners were people who really went searching for a new identity. They were people who were fed up with the status quo. They didn't want to live like the religious people of the day. They wanted an authentic life. They wanted other things in life. And so they started chasing after an identity. There were people who wanted to earn more money. There were people who wanted to explore sexuality. There were people who wanted to be a somebody. There were people who wanted to find their way. And in searching for their identity, these sinners had lost their very soul. But the amazing thing about this is that the Pharisees were no different. They distinguished between them and the sinners, but they were no different. They were sinners themselves. And in trying to be perfect, they also lost their soul. They had the savior of the universe in front of them, the Messiah in front of them. But they could not distinguish him from anybody else because they had searched their life trying to find an identity of being a religious good person. And they lost their soul. And the boy in the story wanted to be his own man. He no longer wanted to be his father's son. So he went searching for an identity in life. And maybe you are that boy today. Maybe you are searching for meaning in life. Maybe you're searching for an identity in life. Maybe you don't like who you are. And you are searching for somebody different. Well, be careful. Because if you search in the wrong places, you'll end up chasing your identity and losing your soul. The lost soul. The story moves on. He goes from the lost soul to the searching soul. The searching soul. We see this in Luke 15 verse 14. It says, about this time after the boy had left his home, his father's home with all his money. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. Finally, when he came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as your hired servants. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and not liked what you've seen? Ever looked and thought, 
I wish that didn't happen to me. I wish I didn't do that. I wish my life was a little different. I wish I looked a little different. Many people, they look in the mirror and they do not like what they see. And there is nothing more painful, I think, in this life than when we lose our soul. Because when we lose our soul, we wake up day after day looking in the mirror and not liking what we have seen. And many people, they look like they're having the time of their life on the outside, but inside there is turmoil going on in their lives. The boy in the story is a perfect example of somebody who woke up one day realizing he had lost his soul and he did not like what he could see. Trying to be a somebody, this boy had forgotten who he really was. Trying to go forward in life, he had forgotten where he had come from. And he ended up in the fields with a bunch of pigs. I'm not sure about you, but I think I'd rather the sheep than the pigs, right? The horses and the pigs, the cow, well, maybe not the cows. But this was a boy who had everything he could wish for in life, and now he is in the fields feeding the pigs, and he is so hungry, he starts to eat the food that he is giving to the pigs. And in this moment... He suddenly starts to realize that chasing his identity, he had lost more than his soul. He'd lost his dignity. He'd lost his dreams. He'd lost his passion. He'd lost his purpose. He'd lost his friends. He'd lost his families. He'd lost his self-respect. He'd lost his pride. He'd lost his place in life. And he'd lost his identity. And once you have lost your soul, you start to become unsure about life. You lose your direction. You lose your moral compass. And the son decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. But I'm going to go and beg to my father for forgiveness. But you can tell from what he said next. He said, I'm going to ask to be one of the hired servants. And the reason he said that is because he, he, he believed this, that he was never truly worthy of his father's forgiveness. He thought his father would never be able to forgive him at all. So at least maybe I could just go and work for him and be one of his servants. servants. And this is so many people in life. We've lost our way and we come to God. We come to God the Father, but we never truly believe that God will ultimately forgive us. We never truly believe that we are good enough for God. We never truly believe that God can get past what we have done before or where our life is right now. I'll be honest, I used to think this myself. In my early 20s, things were not going too well for me. And opportunity, opportunity just kept falling away and and, and life was hard. And, And I used to think that life was hard because God was not blessing me because what I'd done prior in my life. And so I started thinking that I was not a good person, and so God would not bless me because I was not a good person. Even though I'd done stuff and I'd come to God and asked God for forgiveness, in all all truthfulness, I I really asked God for forgiveness. I still believe that God would not bless me because of what God had done in the past, because God really truly hadn't forgiven me, and that is a lie. Because when you come to the Father, the Father forgives. And that leads us on 
to seeing a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart. Here we see in verse 20 of Luke 15. So the boy returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, again, he's thinking that the father is never going to forgive him. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe. Uh, in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I can imagine that the father is at home every single day. He opens the door. He looks down the road. Do I see my son? Do I see my son? Is my son coming? Is he going to come home? I can imagine him just, just, just sitting there, maybe on his rocking chair on his porch, just waiting for his son to come home. Knowing that there is something missing in his life because his son is lost and his son is far away. I, I think this story is so God. Because you see in the story that the son starts to come over the hill and the father runs to the son. See, God is out there searching for you. God is out there searching for your friends and your family and your co-workers and your neighbors. He's not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about them. But he's waiting for you to come home. God is not a mercenary who waits for you to come and grovel and beg. And he says, well, maybe I might forgive you. Now, this is what God does. At the slightest hint of you coming home, he will come and run to you and embrace you and kiss you and, and, and welcome you back into his home. And Jesus is waiting for the day when maybe you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe your friends or your family or your co-workers, he is waiting for the day when they finally decide to come home because he is ready to just bolt out that door and run up to them and embrace them and kiss them and hug them, put a ring on their finger, a robe around them, put sandals on their feet and welcome them back home. See, Jesus is all about compassion. Compassion is sympathy moved to action. And Jesus did that for you and me when he died on the cross. He saw us in our plight. We were lost. And Jesus decided to come and run to us and, 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 and die a terrible death on a cross in an act of love and compassion. See, for what motivates Jesus is his driving passion, and that is love. When those that are lost acknowledge that they are lost, Jesus starts running and he runs right towards you. Then after this, we see a celebration happens. They start to celebrate the soul of this lost boy. Luke 15, 23 tells us, it says, The father said, and kill the, the calf that we had been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. They started to celebrate. I love celebrations. I love celebrations. Actually, we have a line item in our budget at the church, and it's called celebration. Every single year, it's the only line item that we never get right. We always seem to overspend on celebrations. We love to celebrate changed lives. 
We love to celebrate families. We love to celebrate babies. We love to celebrate weddings. We love to celebrate ministries. We love to celebrate volunteers. We love to celebrate people who were lost and now are found. And I, I honestly think that we don't celebrate enough as a church. I think we need to do a little bit more celebrating. Because do you know what happens when a person who is lost becomes found? When a person who has gone away from home comes back into the Father's house, do you know what happens? Heaven starts having a party. Just like this father started to have a party for his young boy. My friend J.R. Briggs, who was here on uh, Pentecost Sunday and preached on Pentecost Sunday, he told me a couple of weeks ago, he said that they're having a baptism, a baptismal like celebration. And he said he's told his church that no golf claps are allowed, right? No. He said, if you're going to come and do a golf clap, please don't bother coming. We want people who are going to celebrate and rejoice because baptism represents life change and it represents a soul that was lost and now is found. And there is nothing better in this life to celebrate than a son coming home to his father's house. And this is exactly what happens in heaven when those that have lost their way come home. This is exactly what happens in heaven the day that you said yes to Jesus. Heaven started having a party. Heaven started to put on the dance music. The angels got in a conga line and started doing the conga around heaven. All because you had come home. Because you were once lost and now you have come home. And this is what the father did in the story. Notice that he didn't get the leftovers. I'll get the leftover last night's dinner out. Let's go out to Chuck E. Cheese or Applebee's. He didn't say that. This is what he did. He threw a party. He got out the vintage wine. He got the, the best prime rib. He, 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 he ordered the best place to, to, to go to. And they had a huge celebration for this young boy. See, your soul is more important than what you have done in your life. Your soul is more important than your work. Your soul is more important than your bank balance. Your soul is more important than your identity. Your soul is more important than what you will do for the rest of your life. See, it is your soul that heaven is concerned about. And a soul that finds its way is worth celebrating. So they celebrated his soul. And finally today, we see Jesus didn't just stop here. See, if Jesus stopped here, we'd have been like rejoicing that someone who was lost has been found. But Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were good people who had lost their way. And so Jesus speaks to the growing heart. The growing heart. See, the Pharisees thought they were righteous. But there was something wrong in their hearts. And this is what the Bible tells us. In Luke 15, 28, it says, The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to dig a sing, uh, refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all the time you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when, his, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate killing the fattened calf. 
You take him to Ruth Chris, what? <laughs> His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. I so resonate with this older brother right now. Because I understand trying to do the work of the father. I understand when you stay close to the father and it feels like others are more blessed than you are. But yet you're working for the father. And let's be honest, this older brother represents most of us right now who are here today, including myself. This older brother had become very prideful. He'd become prideful in his morals, prideful in his work. And this is what happened. He'd lost the compassion that comes with being close to the father. Working for the father, for this, old bro- this older brother, had taken precedence over relationship with the father. See, if this older brother had stayed in relationship more with the father than doing work for the father, he would have understood that the lost son was so important to the father. And I feel that's us right now in in many of our ways because we come to our safe place here on Sunday morning. And we come and do the work of the father. We come and worship the father. We do the things of the father. But the Father's heart is so concerned for the lost people who have lost their way. But yet, often it doesn't even enter into our minds. And even though the younger brother had lost his soul and gone to a far away land, this older brother was still lost. And he had even stayed in the house of the Father. See, this older brother had lost his love. He had lost his compassion. He had lost his grace. He had lost his forgiveness. And this story shows that God is not just concerned for, for, for the lost, but he's also concerned for those who are in the house of God as well. And I ask you today, are you lost today? Are you lost? Have you lost your way? Have you lost your whereabouts? Are you struggling to find your way? Is your soul searching for more? Does God need to grow you? Do you need to start looking and having more compassion for those who are lost? If so, there is a compassionate heart that is found in the Father that is looking out of the house waiting for people to return. There is a celebration that it's all planned and maybe today you are lost. Maybe today you have lost your way. There is a father who is looking out for you, waiting for your return. He has got the celebration planned for you. And now it's time to come home. Maybe you're in the home, but you're just not quite close to the father that you used to be. Maybe the work of the father is taking precedent over relationship with the father. What about your friends and your family? Are they lost? What about your co-workers and your neighbors? Are they lost? 
What are you willing to do so that they can come home to the Father? So you have an answer. You have a GPS. You have a map. You know the way. And it's found through the Word of God. See, heaven is waiting for a party in their honor. Heaven is waiting for a party in their honor. And as a church, what are we going to do so that they can come home? Let's bow our heads in prayer. So as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I wonder if you could just take this coin and just hold it in your, in your hand. Ask you today, what does this coin represent to you? Does it represent your own soul that has lost its way? That is trying to go its own path and not the path that the Father would have you go? Does this coin represent maybe a spouse or your parents? This coin may represent your children or your grandchildren. This coin may represent your friends, your old college buddies, your neighbors, your co-workers. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to pray for those people that you can think about right now that you know, like the lost son, has lost their way. Maybe they chased an identity and they lost their soul. Maybe they tried to be their own person and they lost their soul. No matter who it is today, I want you in this moment to start to pray for them and pray that they will come home and ask God to start to reveal to you how you can help them find their way again on this spiritual journey of light so that they start to find faith and grow in their faith. I know I've got friends and family who often, like the older brother, I forget about. But the father never forgets. So let's pray. Father.